Aren't you glad that God is powerful? We sang about that. I hope you saw that, right? Powerful God. You see a lot of, a lot of things going on the earth and you think, I'm so glad that God is all powerful. I can rest worldwide affairs, city affairs, family affairs, internal affairs, all of those in the powerful hand of God. One of the most powerful waterfalls in the world is in Uganda. Here, the Nile River squeezes into a bottleneck rock spout of just 23 feet across. I remember correctly, it was like 70 feet. No, it was 70 meters, I think, down to just 23 feet. So this huge river, the largest river in the world, coming down to this tiny point. And the force and the power that comes through that is breathtaking. It makes the ground shake. I love waterfalls. Plunges 140 feet down to the bottom. Niagara, right, is ours. Uh, Up there in New York State, another beautiful, powerful waterfall. This is harnessed to actually measure the power. Niagara works, right, Canada and the U.S. has the capacity to to 4.9 million kilowatts, which can power 3.8 million homes, the largest source of energy in New York State is our waterfall. That's powerful. Powerful. And this is just what God did with gravity. That's all it is. It's God saying, this is a law. This will come to the earth when it drops. And we're able to harness that a little bit for such good. And as we do, as humans, we get proud. And we think, look at how much power we have. We get proud of our achievements. Um, And often, the most powerful things... God allows to be debris. I've heard the poem by Percy Shelley of Ozymandias. I love that one. It says, I met a traveler from an antique land who said, Two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert, near them on the sand. Okay, so you got these, these legs and stone, and near them on the sand, half sunk, A shattered visage lies, a face that's shattered, whose frown and wrinkled lip and sneer of cold command tell that its sculptor well those passions read, which yet survives stamped on these lifeless things, the hand that mocked them and the heart that fed. And on the pedestal next to them, these words appear, my name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. Nothing beside remains. Round the decay of the colossal wreck, boundless and bare, the lone and level sands stretch far away. So powerful one day, and nothing but a wreck. Nothing but a wreck. This is our power, humanity. I think we've been reminded of this this week as we saw tragedy surrounding two ocean vessels. Right? One submarine uh, and, and 
many lives lost in, in both cases. Also merchant ship. Um, but the submarine itself trying to get to another powerful ship that once begged, look how powerful we are. Look how great we are. The Titanic. Pride comes before a fall. The pride of civilization comes before a fall. But if humanity could recognize that all of our power comes from God, a relationship with Him, we would, we would find eternal life. And this is what the text gives us today. It really shows us the, the great... This is nothing compared to the power we'll discover today in this text. And so I just... I just let me encourage you to, by faith, approach the words and appropriate them to your soul and let them change you. Um, I think it would be helpful if you open your Bible, okay, or if you have your phone, go to the Bible app and go to Romans 1. I think I am going to do this for sake of time. We just may not finish today, but it would be helpful for us because we're kind of entering a new section. Uh, You see in your notes there... Let's see, this is page 7 on your notes. We have this um, outline, right? And we're moving into the reason to be unashamed, the gospel, power of God, and salvation. And we've, we've handled verses 1 to 7 and verses 8 to 15. What I'd like to do is do a little more detail work in there next week as we kind of uh, move to 16 and 17. But this week, what I'd like to do to just help us get that in our mindset, because this is what happens. The Holy Spirit breathed all this out to be read at one time. And we're kind of looking at the, the branch of the tree instead of the whole forest, and so we can get lost. And so what I'd like to do is just read verses 1 to 16, and I'm going to do that in a paraphrase, which is not as detailed a translation, but it's a little more easy to follow. So you could follow along in your Bible, you have the New American Standard there, King James, whatever you have, and I'll read the paraphrase, the New Living Translation, and just help us place verses 16 and 17 as we get into verse 16, okay? So verses 1 to 7, the Gospel Greetings, Spiritual Ministry. Uh, This letter is from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news. God promised this good news long ago through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Hear that good news coming up a lot. Verse 3, the good news is about his son. In his earthly life, he was born into King David's family line. And he was shown to be the son of God when he raised, and he was shown to be the son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of his Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ our Lord. Through Christ, God has given us the privilege and authority as apostles to tell Gentiles everywhere what God has done for them, so that they will believe and obey him, bringing glory to his name. And you are included among these Gentiles who have been called to belong to Jesus Christ. I'm writing to all of you in Rome who are loved by God and are called to be his own holy people. That's verses 1 through 7. He's given this gospel greeting, and, and there's this, as he's trying to get through it, he's, he keeps referring to the gospel, the good news, right? So he's just saying, normal letter, this is who I am, this is who I'm writing to, and I'm writing so much about the gospel. does the same thing as he shares the purpose for why he's writing. 
And that's what we have, verses 8 to 15, this spiritual family, the relationship that Paul has between himself and Rome. See, young adults, Paul, you guys are going this week to North Carolina, right? This weekend? Okay. So this is really cool. Our young adult fellowship is going to North Carolina to fellowship with a bunch of other churches all across the U.S. So we, we long to have fruit, not just here, but with others. And so this is Paul's desire to go to Rome. Listen to what he says. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Verse 8. Let me say first that I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith in him is being talked about all over the world. They all know about you in Queens. God knows how often I pray for you. Day and night I bring you and your needs in prayer to God, whom I serve with all my heart by spreading the good news about his son. He can't get away from that. One of the things I always pray for is the opportunity, God willing, to come at last to see you. For I long to visit you so I can bring you some spiritual gift that will help you grow strong in the Lord. When we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith. I also want to be encouraged by yours. I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to visit you, but I was prevented until now. I want to work among you and see spiritual fruit, just as I see among other Gentiles. For I have a great sense of obligation to people in both the civilized world and the rest of the world, to the educated and the uneducated alike. So I am eager to come to you in Rome to preach the good news. And that's where we get the four. The four, I am not ashamed. So he's like, I really want to get to, to Rome. I want to preach the gospel to those who are educated, uneducated, Jew, Gentile, no matter what your background is, no matter what your situation in life, status in life. I want to get there and tell you about Jesus, for I'm not ashamed, for I'm not ashamed. So that helps us get the four down. The big idea, verses 1 to 7, right? The recipients, those in Rome, changed by the gospel. Verses 8 through, through 15, he's wanting to get there uh, to have fruit with them in the gospel. And he wants to share this fruit no matter who they are, for he's not ashamed of the gospel. All right, so this bold declaration, I stand unashamed. Our bold declaration, I stand unashamed. And I just wonder if you guys could say that with me. Even though... Maybe you would say it's not quite true as much as Paul, but let's just say it together, okay? I stand unashamed. Can we say that together one more time? I stand unashamed. Now, what he's going to do today is give us two reasons why we can stand unashamed in the gospel, okay? Two reasons, and they're going to help us stand unashamed. If we don't have time to get to the second one, I at least want to get through the first one. And so we'll add to that statement that we all read together, so we'll remember why we can be unashamed. Okay, so let's look at this bold declaration. First of all, in verse 16, I stand unashamed, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For I, Paul, ties his unashamed to what has preceded and his life. And Ford mentioned that as he was uh, praying, and that's the scripture that we read in our glorifying God section there. Paul was certainly one who had been changed by the gospel. We have persecutor to proclaimer, martyrer to martyred, 
blasphemer to prayer warrior. If anyone knew about salvation in Jesus, it was Paul. It was Paul. And he stood unashamed. He gave the rest of his life to share it. For I am not unashamed. So what is the status? The status is that he is not what? Ashamed. Yeah. So he's unashamed. That's the status. Um, To be ashamed is to act in such a way that you're concerned that others would know this about you. It's the disgrace or shame about a certain activity or thought in your life. There's a lot of things that we would be ashamed about. I'm just so glad that person doesn't know I thought that. Or perhaps something that you did when you were 15. Maybe something's coming to your mind. Don't take that rabbit trail. That's in the past. Let's think of the present. He's saying, I am not ashamed. Paul grew up in a very cultured, educated environment. He was a citizen of Rome. He was at the 1%. And yet he chose to be maligned and to be um, identified with the Christians in his communities. And that was not a positive thing. They were thought of as uh, historians of the day, worms. They were, they were maligned in the sense that they were, they, uh, did, they were considered atheists because they didn't believe in the panoply of gods. Um, but they were also considered barbaric and uh, even cannibalistic. Uneducated. Uncouth. Paul, more educated than about anybody else. And he's like, you know what? That's okay. I am not ashamed to be named a Christian. This word comes up, if you're taking notes, it comes up in Mark 8.38. Very convicting verse. Jesus says, Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory with his Father with holy angels. And so the word of the cross... The gospel to those who are perishing is foolishness, 1 Corinthians 1.18. And Paul knew that. The Greeks desired a sign, but he, he was okay with not being labeled the Greeks or the Jews, but the Christians, the outscouring of the world. So he is unashamed. What is the status he's unashamed? What is he unashamed of? Well, he's not just unashamed of his character because he's this rascal. He's unashamed of the gospel. He's unashamed of the gospel. And I just take a moment with this. Why would someone be ashamed of this glorious message? Well, consider the content. The gospel message is about Jesus Christ. The gospel message is entirely about Jesus Christ. The message from Genesis to Revelation, it's about Jesus Christ. All the way back from the first day we fell, God said, I'm going to bring a seed who will redeem you and crush this serpent's head who tempted you. We have gone our own way. God made us glorious, perfectly satisfied with him. We've chosen our own way. We have all fallen short of the glory of God, and every day we continue to do that. But God came. He came. Jesus Christ came, was born under the law was cursed by the law being made a curse for us and died a criminal's death on the cross. And that, that cross death was the payment for all of our sin. Uh, 
as accepted by God, the Father, through the resurrection. And so Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, which you have received, I trust all of you have received it, in which you stand, by which you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. And so we have this gospel, we believe this gospel, and we continue to believe this gospel. What is that gospel? I deliver to you first importance that which I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and he appeared to many. This is the gospel. This is the good news that God did not leave us in our state, but he came, he loves us, he sent his son to die for us. Well, consider the offensive nature of the content of the gospel. That doesn't sound very offensive. Well, it is. There is a bloody death of God the Son, pouring out the wrath of the Father upon him. And so, as I alluded to earlier, 1 Corinthians 1, 22-24, Indeed, Jews ask for signs, Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. It's a stumbling block, he says. To Jews, a stumbling block. To the Gentiles, foolishness. The preaching of the cross, to many people today, the cross itself is foolish. It's unwise. Just as it was back then. It hasn't changed. It hasn't changed. And so, you may be tempted today. Just like they, in their day, they thought they were the epitome of society. They had the same moral changes that are going on in our society. It's cyclical. You watch it. In world history, it's all the same. It's nothing new. There's nothing new under the sun. Right? If you're a historian, you see it. I love reading history. You learn from it. But one thing is not changed. The cross of Christ. The world, this way, this way. But usually, foolishness, stumbling block. The need for the cross is offensive. Thirdly, the need for the cross, um, sorry, the nature of the cross, the need for the cross, and then we'll get to the culture in one second. But just the idea that you need salvation. That is offensive to some people. Why do I need saving? I'm pretty good. Don't you know I'm a spiritual person? I've never killed anyone. But I bet you if you talk to those who killed someone, they'll say, yeah, but I'm, my, at heart, I'm pretty a good person. Everybody thinks pretty good about themselves. And yet we've all broken God's cosmic laws every day of our lives. Right? My household has rules that you don't have to obey. New York State has laws that uh, we have one couple visiting from out of state. You guys don't have to obey them, I guess. I don't know, maybe when you're in New York State. Um, the United States has laws. We have federal laws. And then there's certain UN laws. right? But, but over out, or overarching all of those, all of us are under certain laws of God. And nobody gets out of that jurisdiction. Universal law that says, honor your parents. Universal law that says, honor God's name. Never say the, the normal OMG that people just say all the time. That is breaking one of the most serious laws of God. Not to take his name in vain. What? Yes. That's how odd our culture is. That it would choose that as one of its probably most used sayings in our culture. Our culture is defiant in the face of God almost every moment. And it becomes habit. These are the laws of God. Lusting. 
I could go on and on. And so people try to change the message. One pastor was sharing this message of the gospel, preaching to some teens, and the mom came up to him afterwards, your message offended me because you preached as if all these young people were sinners. I replied, I'm glad it came across that way because that is exactly the message I wanted to communicate. Yeah, and that can be offensive, but it's the gospel. If you don't know that you need salvation, then why would you want to be rescued? Our culture is in great need of rescue. I am in great need of rescue every day. But by the blood of Jesus, I would be thrown to hell every moment of every day because of my sin. We have to believe the gospel and continue to believe the gospel. And there is this resistance, and and I won't take as much time with this as I'd like, but I think we'll see it as we continue in, in, in Romans 1, but the world system itself is totally against this idea. The Bible says your heart is incurably sick. The world says you just need to be taught a different way. You just need to be uh, placed in a different environment. You are not incurably sick. You can fix yourself. That is Satan's lie to yarn a story that is populated, promulgated, propagandized across every media, shared just like the emperor's new clothes. And people walk around just like they have the emperor's new clothes. And you see the stuff that people are promoting. You're just saying, this is bad for you. Don't you see it? And they won't wake up that the culture is broken. The emperor has no clothes. Needs the clothes of Christ to clothe themselves in righteousness. But people say it so much that it's just so... It's just said, this is the natural thing. And you're just like, wake up. And if you say, you have no clothes, then you're laughed at. Unless someone wakes up too. and say, wow, our, our culture is far from God. And then they wake up too, and they clothe themselves in righteousness, and that's where he goes to. Let's, let's quickly go to that, okay? Um, we'll spend more time with that idea, because that's what Romans 1 is all about. Romans 2, he talks about the self-righteous Pharisee as well, okay? So it's not just those whose lives would be more openly sinful, it's also those whose lives are very religious. All of us need Christ. Everyone needs Christ. Okay, okay so let's get to our first reason today. One solid reason for a bold declaration. What is our solid reason for a bold declaration of the gospel unashamed? It unleashes God's power. It unleashes God's power. This is why I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It and it alone You can be as kind and neighborly as you want, and no one will be saved. It and it alone unleashes the power of God. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it, the gospel, is the power of God for salvation. It unleashes God's saving power. So this four is important. Why are you not ashamed? That's why I'm preaching, because I'm not ashamed. Why are you not ashamed? For it is the power of God for salvation. And look at verse 17 in your Bible, and you see that he's going to give us another four. And, and I believe, actually, that verse 17 comes under the logical progression of the power of God. Why is the power of God unto salvation, everyone believes? For the righteousness of God is revealed 
We'll get to that another time. But the point here is, the four here, the reason, the tying word, you see that? Can you see that arrow? For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why, Paul, are you not ashamed of the gospel? For, this is why, it's the power of God. It's the power of God. Schreiner succinctly puts it this way, the preaching of the word does not, not nearly make salvation possible, but it effects salvation in those who are called. It is the, it is the active ingredient in everyone's salvation. The speaking of the words of the gospel. They may think it's strange at first. You may share it five times, but then the sixth one, oh, I'm the emperor with no clothes. I need the righteousness of Christ. No more fig leaves. I need sacrifice. The eyes are open to the gospel. Before that, it was silly. It was foolishness. Now, oh, I need that. It is the power of God. The word in Greek is dunamis. The word from which I get our, we get our word dynamite. The power is not in the preacher. The power is not in the delivery. The power is not in your... Uh, kindness or your uh, apologetics the powers in the gospel of god the word of the cross is those who are perishing foolishness but to us we're being saved it's the power of god it's on full display god speaks and galaxies come into the place he speaks and the red sea parts and delivers he speaks and lightning bolts send people flying in mount zionai they're like get away from us but he speaks in the gospel and people are brought alive spiritually from the dead. This is amazing power. This is greater power than creation. It's spiritual regeneration. And it's in that seed of the gospel. Amazing what God has chosen to do. That is the power that's there with you as you share Jesus with someone. Remember this very often, but, but very succinctly, clearly, as I was sharing the gospel with someone in Forest Park, dear lady, and I didn't know her very well, but I was just going to share Jesus with her. And, and as I was talking, I could tell she was very educated. Uh, I, was, I was a little younger. I was educated. And so I started pulling out my apologetics. And, and she had chosen a smorgasbord of religions. Her and her husband had read up on all the religions, and they had pieced together their own. And, uh, and so I just said, listen, what's your source of truth? Your source of truth is, is what you and your husbands have. have like that, that's a, it's like you're a ship you know, lost, and you need something fixed outside of you that's objective and tested, not just your unconscious. This is solid apologetics. And I mentioned an illustration that I learned in seminary of if you had the statue, no, if you had um, the Empire State Building, and, uh, and, and you were leading a tour, and you said, everybody, meet me at 3 p.m. at the Empire State Building. Uh, everybody would know where to meet you, because it's fixed, and it's outside of them. But if you gave everybody one little Empire State Building to carry around, and say, come to the Empire State Building, that wouldn't help them, right? Because that's their own truth for them, and it just doesn't work. Everybody would be lost. And that's the popular secular idea of... Truth. Well, it's your truth. It's truth to you. It's truth to you. No, truth is fixed, objective, and God has revealed it in the Word. Okay? So that's solid. And she just looked at me like I was an idiot. <laughs> You're so foolish. 
how can you think that you're going to convince me after my husband and I have taken years to study? And I could tell I'm not getting anywhere. And so I just, can I quote a quote first to you? This, this is something Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Boom! Her eyes changed. You know what? Because the power is not in our reasoning. That can help to where people will listen to the gospel, but it's, it's supernatural. It's amazing the change on people's faces as you tell them about Jesus. And some people will still reject. They'll still say it's foolish. They'll still say it's... What's the other one? A stumbling block. But for those who are called, their eyes are open. And if you do not get the seed there, there will not be fruit. God uses us as the means and queens to get the word out. Keep moving here. The power of God for what? It's God's power as manifested. How is God's gospel message manifested? In salvation. It's not in me. It's not in you. The power of the message priest actually saves people. It saves people. What does it save them from? Well, if you have your Bible, it's very important. Did I put this in here? I think I did. Yeah. It's really important to put this together. Um, Okay, we're going to keep reading here. Verse 17. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed for everyone who believes. Yes, I want the right standing with God to be mine. I want to embrace the gospel. What does that save you from? There's a verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed. That's a real thing. And he takes a whole chapter talking about it. I need salvation. You need salvation. We're not in a good standing on our own. We can't jump to God. Someone has to come down and save us from the wrath of God. That's what the verse says. That's what the verse says. These are really interesting words. It's our word revelation. It's an apocalyptic term. It's like Jesus is revealed. Where we're waiting for him to be revealed. Like his righteousness has been revealed in the gospel. And when his wrath is also revealed. Okay? All right. We've got to finish up here. Um, and so, uh, our sin is heinous before God, and we embrace the gospel every day. I embrace the gospel every day. Uh, my, the gospel is powerful in my life because God saves me. He declares me to be right, but he also continues to save me. And so, what this verse does is it really summarizes all of Romans. This idea of salvation, we have one through three, this need for salvation. Appropriation, four through six, by faith. Seven, six, seven, eight, this salvation, not just of my uh, birth, being birthed into God's family, but growing in the family. Sanctification. That's the continual salvation of God until I'm glorified. And so really, this is the, the summary of Romans. And it's very, very powerful. Powerful in all of our lives, and I trust it's powerful in your life today. <clears throat> One pastor from Missouri grew up in evangelical Lutheran context, was sent to be a chaplain in World War II. Uh, had a very rough time. He was an older man, Henry Jarrett. Uh, he ministered to the war-torn and wounded for two years, losing two of his sons in World War II. As the war ended, he was asked to serve as a chaplain. But he was given the option to bail out because he had to minister to the worst of the worst in the Nuremberg trials. 
Three top Nazi officials took their own life, but there were 21 others that were tried for crimes against humanity. If he took this position, he would be hated for it. These men were responsible for taking his own two lives of his own sons. Many refused, but he took the position. He went and visited each of these men. First, most refused to meet for service, but eventually 13 men were meeting out of those 21 for services to be held. When he turned 53, he had the chance to finally go home and see his wife and his family. His wife appealed to him to come home. But the prisoners begged him to stay. They wrote a letter to his wife, pleading him, pleading her, Mrs. Jerick, your husband has been taking religious care of the underside during the Nuremberg trial. He has been doing so for more than half a year. We have now heard that you wish him back home. We understand this. Nevertheless, we are asking you to put off your wish to gather your family around you Please consider, we cannot miss your husband now. Our dear chaplain is necessary for us, not only as a pastor, but as a thoroughly good man that he is. Ribbenstrop was one of these men. He had been Hitler's foreign minister, very wicked man. The first time Jarek met with him, it had nothing to do with Christianity and clearly spelled out why he did not believe. Eventually, he came to a service. Over the months, his tune changed. Eventually, he professed Christ. He encouraged, wrote letters encouraging his wife to do the same, to raise their children in Christian church. These men, most of them, were executed. Ribbenstrop was one of them. As he climbed the scaffold to the noose, an American officer looked on, asked him his last words. He responded, I place all my confidence in the Lamb who made atonement for my sins. May God have mercy on my soul. Then he turned to Pastor Jarek and said, I'll see you again. And he died. The gospel can reach that low. It is, that is powerful. That is powerful that, that it can go to that dark a place but I think it's even more powerful in that pastor. It could go to the people that killed his sons and minister to them for months. That is powerful. That is powerful sanctification. That is a powerful forgiveness. That is powerful believing in the gospel. That is powerful not being ashamed of the gospel. If we could just take a moment to think, that is actually where we all stand We all stand condemned to die in God's court, everyone looking on. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And what has happened is Jesus has come and taken the noose for us. That's what the cross is. It's an implement of capital punishment. All of your sins, place there, handwriting of ordinances against you, list them all. Jesus says, I will pay for all of it. 
and we believe that and we're eternally saved. That is power, power, power in the blood. And that is why we stand unashamed, unashamed of his cross. Let's say this and we'll be done. I stand unashamed because the gospel is powerful, all right? I stand unashamed because the gospel is powerful. I stand unashamed because the gospel is powerful. This is why when you come to that person, you say, they're just going to hate it. No, it's powerful. And that, that you're being brave enough to share might be just what sends them to eternal life with Christ. It's that powerful that I am not going to be ashamed of it. Now, its second reason is, as he continues on, and we'll do that next week, but because it's for everyone who believes, it's for everybody, Jew and Gentile, and we'll kind of focus in on that faith, and that's another reason why we're not ashamed of it. Heads bowed and eyes closed. I trust that everybody here is believing in this gospel, not believing in the fact that you're a very self-righteous person, uh, that you've done a lot of good things, but only solely lean on Jesus' name. Solely lean on Jesus' name. Um, It's interesting that Jesus uh, said often to the very religious people, he said those harlots and tax collectors are going to get into the kingdom of heaven before you. Why was that? Because they were relying on their own works. And so we need to make sure today we are all relying on the work of Jesus Christ and him alone. But, but the prod for us through the Holy Spirit here is that, am I ashamed? Am I ashamed? And uh, so let's just ask the Lord for that heart to continue believing the gospel so much that I'm willing to share it. Right, this week we have an outreach Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, oh, Thursday, Friday. So you could pick one of those. But we all have these seven folks that we're trying to reach that we call our plotted plant, potted plants, right? People that you know and... Let me just encourage you to ask the Lord to give you an opportunity to throw seed on the soil this week, okay? Um, friendliness uh, gives opportunity to share the seed, but the seed is what saves. The gospel is what saves. The simple message of Jesus uh, being proclaimed by faithful folks that love others. If you would like to pray with someone, I'll be in the lobby and be happy to pray with you. In a moment, Pastor Andrew will close us in prayer.